Sorry, Michelle, I'm tweaking a little bit there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not used to sharing my podium, so we're, we're, we're all adapting. Um, as we've said repeatedly uh, throughout the, the last several weeks, uh, we traditionally within the Christian church, the weeks leading up to Christmas are referred to as Advent, and that's simply a time of preparation and anticipation. And each week we've been lighting the candles, and we the first is the, if I remember how to do this, the first is the hope candle, then the peace candle. Uh, apparently I'm not very adept at this. Right. And then last week, it was the joy candle. And today, it is the love candle. Maybe. as I thought about the the love candle, um, I was reminded of another passage that's incredibly familiar that speaks to love, and that is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, when he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And to me, all of the aspects, uh, hope, as I think about Christmas and all that this season represents, Hope is an incredible part of that. I think about peace, and as I've said repeatedly, uh, peace from the Christian perspective is not a feeling, it's not a theoretical concept. In our world, peace is a person whom we can know personally. And so that is, is crucial to our ongoing spiritual development. Joy, again, uh, he is the author of true joy and the source upon which we can rely to experience that joy. Um, but love is what this season is all about. So as you look at the candles, I just encourage you to let that soak in. And again, this is uh, called the angel calendar candle or the love candle. And I just wanted to, to celebrate that with you today. Um, I've been in the middle of a series of messages called, What Would It Take? And I've talked about it from the aspect of what would it take for us to experience Christmas and be changed like it impacted Mary and Joseph. And last week, what would it take for us to be influenced and shaped like the original first Christmas experience uh, influenced the shepherds? And today, I want us to think about the idea of what would it take for me to go all in to experience Christ on an entirely new level. What would it take for me to go all in to experience Christ on an entirely new level? And the the Bible characters that I'm looking to for this concept today, uh, we call them a variety of things. We call them the wise men. We call them the magi. They've been called kings. They've been called priests. And much of what we know about them comes from Matthew's gospel as he describes the situation. And I'm going to read for you from Matthew chapter 2, I, I think the first 12 verses. <clears throat> Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east <clears throat> came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. 
This, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now again, the people of Israel were being ruled by Herod. Uh, Herod was not sympathetic to their faith, and he tended to be a very dominant uh, leader. And the thought of someone being born king of the Jews was a threat to him. He was not excited about this news. You know, we think about all the warm fuzziness that goes with the Christmas story. This is not a warm, fuzzy moment. Um, he was not thrilled at the prospect. He was not asking these questions to find out so he too could go and worship. Um, so again, just to understand that. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. And that's a flat-out lie, all right? That was not his plan. He was just being the devious monster that he was. Uh, because eventually, he said, when he found out the time frame, he couldn't find the right child, so his solution was to kill all the children that were born, all the male children that were born in basically a two-year period. And so he was going all in, not in a good way. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So that's just kind of the background. And I want us to think, again, in this idea of what would it take. And I want us to think about it with regard to the wise men, the magi, the kings, the priests. And the first thing I would have us wrestle with is what would it take for me to be wise enough to keep seeking? What would it take for me? We talk about the wise men, and, and again, I'll talk about this in a moment, but you know, the warm fuzziness of seeing the wise men gathered around the crash and stuff um, may not be historically accurate, but it's a nice warm, fuzzy image for us. But what would it take for me to be wise enough to keep seeking. Unlike Mary and Joseph, who were just getting started in life, these players in the Christmas story, the wise men, the magi, the kings, the priests, whatever you choose to call them, these were well-established men of means. Mary and Joseph were just a young couple trying to figure life out and get started. They perhaps didn't have quite as much to lose by leaning into this story. But these were men who were well-established. Unlike the shepherds who lived on the fringe of society, these were men with connections. They already had pretty much everything that most people in their day, and for that matter, most people in our day, are seeking. They had power, they had influence, they had wealth, and they had knowledge. So when I think about that for a moment, I, I could ask the question, why did they even need to be seekers? Why did it matter to them what was going on in another part of the world? 
yet they were wise enough to be willing to invest to seek after something more. They had money. They had influence. They had power. They had status. But yet something was missing. And they didn't even fully understand what that was. So again, the question is, what would it take for them to go all in to seek Christ on an entirely new level? What did it cost them? First of all, there's the trip. We're told that they traveled. They followed a star and they traveled. I don't know if we're singing a song about it, but we've all sung songs about following the star. Now, this was not just getting in the car and driving around the corner. Depending upon which tradition you look at, this trip took them either weeks, it took them months, and some scholars feel it may have even taken them years. This was not the shepherd showing up when the little baby was lying there in the manger. This was a long-term committed pursuit seeking something more. Once again, depending upon which scholars you look to, this was a journey of anywhere from a few hundred miles to over a thousand miles. And this is either on foot or by camel. Alright? So, what I, what I wonder about is, what is it that drove them to be willing to seek that hard. They were willing to risk their credibility. They were literally putting their reputations on the line, much like we talked about the shepherds last week, much like we talked about Mary and Joseph, to embrace the Christmas story and to say, what will it take? It means we have to put sometimes, oftentimes, our reputation on the line. As intellectual, educated adults in 2021, do you really believe in a virgin birth? Do you really believe in angels popping up in the sky and giving a message to lowly shepherds? So for these guys to say, we are leaving, putting our lives on hold, we're packing up as much as we can carry with us, and we're taking off on a weeks, days, months, or mo- days, weeks, months, years-long journey to follow a star in hopes of seeing a child who we believe has been born a king. Now, again, just a refresher for us. In those days, the way you became a king as a child was your dad was king, and somebody killed him, and you got to be king, or he died of natural causes, but you didn't just randomly be born in a manger, in a stable, and end up king. So the whole idea of them saying, we're taking off to find this child, is pretty incredible, and certainly would prompt, again, imagine if somebody came to you, and said, you know what, Dan, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to work for you, uh, but I'm going to resign because I saw a star, and I think this star is going to lead me to the king of the world. 
Call human resources quick because he needs help. All right. I mean, seriously, imagine as these guys are packing up their stuff, kind of like Noah building the, the ark. It's like, what are you doing? I'm building a big boat. Why? Because it's going to rain and there's going to be water everywhere. And it's like, what's rain? Because it never rained before. We're on dry ground. Why are you packing up all your camels? Well, you know, there's a star way over there. And we believe shared delusions. We believe if we follow it, it will lead us to the king of the Jews. Really? So they they were willing to be wise enough to seek, even if it didn't really make sense. And And what I take away from that is they had clearly heard that there would be a Messiah. They had clearly heard there would be a king of the Jews who was going to change the world. And they were unwilling to settle for knowing about the Messiah. They wanted to experience him personally. Let that soak in for a minute. Most of us, there is still enough residual Christianity within our culture most of us have at least some awareness that there is this person called Jesus who is purportedly something special. These wise men were not willing to settle for knowing about Jesus. They wanted to experience it personally. I mean, they could have said, you know what? If this really happened, if there really is a child who's the king of the Jews, probably within the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, it'll be on CNN, and I can see all about it. No, they said, if this is real, we're not content to just hear about it. We want to go there and experience it firsthand. Now, again, I I know some of you, some of you know I'm I'm not usually a really big music person, but I know some of you really, really, that's that's a really cool thing to you, and that's awesome. I celebrate that. So you get the difference between listening to something on the radio, listening to a CD, and going to a live concert. It's a totally different experience. And these guys are dealing with this on a spiritual plane. And they're saying, you know what? We don't want to settle for hearing about it. We want to experience it personally. So, you know where I'm going. What would it take for me? What would it take for you to go all in to seek Christ on an entirely deeper level? Are we wise enough to resist the temptation to settle instead of paying the price to keep seeking. And can I say, the longer you have been on a faith journey, the greater the temptation to settle can become. Because you've read it all, you've heard it all, you've seen it all, and you know it all. But there's always something more. What would it take? for us to be wise enough to resist the temptation to settle and be willing to pay the price to keep seeking like the wise men do. Just 
it just humor me. They're called wise for a reason. You know, if you got two people and one of them's labeled wise and one of them's labeled foolish, are you going to line up to follow the fool? If they're wise, maybe we should pay attention. Next question is, what would it take for me to be wise enough to keep worshiping? I find it interesting to note that Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds all got direction from an angelic intervention. An angel showed up, just rocked their world, and said, this news is going to change everything. But the wise men received their direction from a star in the sky, from natural science, if you will. God will do what God's going to do. If it takes angels, that's awesome. If he chooses to use a star, that's awesome. But to me, it's significant to note that he uses whatever means necessary, and we have to be wise enough to hear and to respond. I also find it important to note that their worship cost them something. They were going to worship the king, or the child-born king of the Jews. And again, I've already talked about the cost of the trip. And I think about, some of you know, have any of you heard, Malachi pointed out that there's a, an announcement in the bulletin about a retirement party. And I thought, gosh, I'm glad they told me. But anyway, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's right, I know. I'm kidding you. Uh, but... I've been doing this a long time, and there are some things I've heard a time or two over the course of 40-plus years. And one of those is, I can worship God wherever I am. I don't need to make the trip to see the child, I mean to church. Now again, most of you know, I've never been once to say, you've got to be in church every time the doors are open. That's not where I'm coming from. But I I have to wonder, what was it about these wise men that said, we're not content to just hear about it. We're willing to pay the price to be there to experience it personally. Now, again, I'm not bashing technology, even though ours is being a challenge right now. I understand we can have significant connections via social media and live stream, and and that's all awesome. But sometimes, wherever it is, we have to be willing to make the trip and pay the price to experience stuff in person. So the cost of the trip for them was a willingness to actually make the trip Then the cost of their time. And again, I may have heard once or twice over the past 40 years something along the lines of, well, I I can't be there every Sunday because Sunday's my only day off or my only day to sleep in. Or it's snowing or it's raining or it's too hot, it's too cold, it's sunny, whatever. And again... Friends, this is not about church attendance, but it is about saying, do I value 
the opportunity to worship the Son of God, the ruler of the universe, personally, to make the investment to make the trip. And as I've already alluded to, their worship... Because again, you remember what I read in the story. They said, we're going to find this child to worship him. And what happened when they got there? They came and they presented gifts and they worshiped. I don't know what that looked like. I'm pretty sure they didn't have a song leader who led them in three songs and a preacher who delivered a message. But you, you heard how they responded. Now, these they had traveled again. At the very least, a couple of weeks. In all probability, a couple of months or more. This was a big deal. And they get there. And we have these well-educated men of means and influence. And what do they do? They set aside their pride, their status, their position, their inhibitions... And they bow down and worship a small child. Now think about that. When was the last time you were so moved by anything that you set aside your pride and completely humbled yourself as an expression of whatever it was you were experiencing? Something to think about, isn't it? What would it take for me to be wise enough to keep worshiping? Now, these guys clearly had a clue spiritually. We don't know how much they understood, but they clearly had a clue. But they chose not to settle. And wherever they were at when they started the journey, they took it to an entirely different place when they actually got there. And they literally got down on their knees in a move of complete surrender and humility and worshipped this child whom they had just met and really didn't know anything about. Now again, I've said this every week, but there's so much about the Christmas story that just makes my head explode. And I have to ask myself, what would have to happen What would have to happen for me to be in a worship experience and be moved to the point that I just went face down? Didn't care who was looking. Didn't care what was happening. Didn't care if I was the only one doing it. I I can't even answer that question. And I've had some pretty awesome worship experiences. What would it take? In their case, for them to be wise enough to keep worshiping also cost them the value of their gifts, and I'll unpack that in just a moment. So again, what would it take? Am I wise enough to resist the temptation to settle? Do you wonder, do you wonder if as they were packing up for their trip, there were people who said, you know what, you know, we'll pray for you. I look forward to hearing you tell me, having you tell me all about it when you get back. What would it take for me 
to resist the temptation to settle instead of paying the price to worship the Messiah on a deeply personal level? And that's a deeply personal question for you to ask. Then the third thing I would have you wrestle with today is what would it take for me to be wise enough to keep giving? Now, again, if you've heard the Christmas story, if you've seen a major scene, you see these guys dressed up in fancy robes and whatever, and they've all got a gift. And we've been told forever they were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's important for us to just, to the best of our abilities, wrap our heads around the fact that they were gifts that cost them something. There's much we don't know about this story because various traditions have put their own spin on it over the years. How many wise men? I've heard three. We've even given them names. Um, I've heard as many as 300. And I've heard everything in between. Where did they come from? I've heard a lot of speculation about different locations what fates they were coming from, how far they traveled, how long they traveled, when they actually arrived. I've heard a lot about the actual value of their gifts. Few traditions deviate from the the nature of the gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How much is up for debate? Most of us, if we've seen a manger scene, we picture them each with one small container. We don't know that. They could have had camel loads of gold, of frankincense and myrrh. Now, gold makes sense. Wait, I mean, gold's gold. That's awesome stuff. Frankincense and myrrh, maybe not so much to us, but they were highly prized in their culture, and at times they were equal in value to gold. Some scholars have estimated the value of their gifts in the millions by today's standards. Any of you still buying Christmas for little people? Uh, you going to go out and drop a million? I mean, I loved my grandkids. I'm sorry, 75 bucks, that's all you get. Uh, but their gifts cost them something. And their gifts that meant something. They were well thought out and they were prepared in advance. I will bet my last few paychecks, and I'm counting how many there are, but I will bet my last few paychecks that they did not stop at PS Food Mart just before they got to the baby and pick something up. You, you know what I mean? They knew before they even left what they were going to give when they got there. And those gifts mattered more to them than they did to Jesus. I'm pretty sure, I don't know how old Jesus was, but maybe the gold, ooh, sparkly, I like that, okay? Stinky, smelly myrrh and frankincense? I don't see a child of any age being ecstatic over that. 
And I think about those gifts. I think about the fact that they actually planned it out. In their day, gold, obviously some of you have heard this before, but gold reminds us, speaks to the kingship of Jesus. In their day, no gift for a king was more appropriate than gold. Highly valuable, highly sought after, representative of power and influence. That's not a gift for a child. But it was a gift for this child because those men came to worship a king. So what better gift for a king than the gift of kings, which was gold? Frankincense was representative of the deity of Jesus. Throughout Jewish culture, frankincense was burned in worship as a fragrant offering to God. And by giving this child incense, they were affirming he was literally God incarnate. They were giving gifts that reflected something most people would not get for decades. And then myrrh. Again, some of you have heard, myrrh takes us to the death of Christ. It was traditionally a part of preparing a body for burial. That's what they wrapped with the body. And they're giving this gift to a child, affirming his eventual death as a sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty for our sins. And so, again, I ask, what would it take for us to go all in to seek Christ on an entirely new level? To keep seeking after him, to keep worshiping him, and to give him gifts that cost something and gifts that mean something. Am I wise enough to give sacrificially? Gifts that cost me something. Now again, please understand, I'm not bashing technology. I I am not. I'm the one way back in the dark ages that kept saying to the to the board of administration, you know, we really got to start doing e-giving. You know, all the cool kids are doing e-giving. We've got to do e-giving. And well, no, nobody's doing e-giving. And, and only the big churches are doing e-giving. Not, this is not our board. This was other people around us. It just wasn't out there. I'm not sorry we did that. But... It's really easy, especially if you sign up for the old auto-give. You don't even have to think about it. I know some people who have the technological capacity to be giving. They choose not to because they want to sit down each week and write out their check and think about what they're doing. I'm not saying you need to do that. Amy's saying, no, that's so much more workbook. I don't know what it is. All right. But I am saying... No matter what you give, whether it's to the church, to anywhere else, whether you give of your time, your talent, your treasure, make sure that it means something, that you're thinking about it. Why did I sign up for auto-give when I see that it comes out of my account? Why am I doing that? Because that's what you're supposed to do if you're part of the church. But why? They thought about their gifts. 
And they gave them to advance the mission that Jesus came to carry out. And their gifts cost them something. I I remember when we were brand new baby Christians and we were also brand new baby husband and wife and we were also brand new baby mommy and daddies. And I'm being gracious. Things were tight. And when some of our extended family found out we were giving to the church, it was not a fun conversation because they felt like we were being totally financially irresponsible. We were giving because for the first time in our lives we had grasped completely not completely but we grasped in a real personal way what God had done for us am I wise enough to give sacrificially am I wise enough to give purposefully now it may not what I've just said may not change the amount whatsoever but grasp that you're doing it because you choose to make a sacrifice as a part of your seeking after more of him. Because you are giving for the purpose of participating in his, with him in carrying out his mission to this world. What would it take? What would it take for me to go all in this Christmas season on an entirely new level like the wise men did? To keep seeking after him? To seek after him in ways that I haven't yet begun to start? To seek after him because I want a deeper worship experience and to seek after him because I want to give gifts that matter and the most important gift is giving him myself in relationship and allowing him to shape me into all he created me to be I've said it often I'll say it again what would it take for me to go all in to me one of those things is making a clear conscious decision to live out on a daily basis that real personal life changing relationship with God every day as I've said earlier in this series the real and personal part we, we, we can wrap our heads around that. But if it is real and if it is personal, then it must be life-changing. Because if it's not life-changing, then it's not real and it's not personal. I know that sounds harsh, but I think that's why he went to the cross. That's why he came to the manger. 
And that's why he continues to implore us to seek after him. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for this incredible story and all that it represents. But more importantly, I thank you that it is so much more than just a story. I thank you for the example of Mary and Joseph and their willingness to say yes to such an incredible ask. I thank you for the shepherds and their willingness to set aside their fear and their willingness to come and see and go and tell. And I thank you for the wise men. I thank you for their wisdom and their willingness to pay the price to move beyond the ordinary, to not settle for hearing about this child who's been born king of the Jews, but their willingness to pay the price to experience it personally and to be transformed by the seeking to be transformed by the worshiping and to be transformed by the giving. And Father, I pray that all these years later, their example would inspire us to do the same. I thank you, Jesus.